0: You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the Kingdom of God. For any more information visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. So we are continuing this series of Overcome. And I don't know if you feel like right now you have overcome some stuff. Maybe you feel like you have a mountain to overcome. Perhaps you feel like you're kind of standing at the foot of a mountain looking up and thinking, I have to overcome this health challenge or this sickness or this mental health issue or this financial issue or this decision or relationship issue, whatever it is. I want to encourage you today that that God has made you an overcomer. So we're going to pray and we're going to open the Word of God. Lord God, I thank you that you make us overcomers. Lord, we don't have to strive and try to fit a certain box. But Lord, we overcome through your blood, not through our own sweat and tears. And God, we thank you that each person here already is and will overcome. Lord, you don't leave us or abandon us. You are with us in every season, every circumstance. God, you are close. And so, right now, for anyone who is struggling, God, I pray that, that Holy Spirit, you'd awaken their spirit to hear your words today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 So I've already said that you are an overcomer. Do you want some statistics to show this, that you're an overcomer? Um, People would mock me sometimes that I'm not good at running. Um, Some people on our team are good runners. I am surprisingly not one of them. But I don't feel like I need to run because I've already peaked before I was even born. And so have you. So take the guilt off that the runners put onto you because you've already won a race. Because the chance of you being you, being born at the time that you were born, to the parents that you were born, is one in 400 trillion. I beat the odds of one in 400 trillion. I don't need a marathon to prove it, Sean. Um, i just say, Sean on Friday night was leading youth with me and did make a comment of, I don't know if I want to do the advert about church, when I have to talk about some old person talking, standing on stage talking about God. And I was like, thank you, Sean. That's me, the old person that you're referring to this week. So I did say that I would retaliate. <coughs> yeah. Um, so a one in 400 trillion chance of you being born is amazing. You've already become a winner. Just to help you understand the odds, here's some other odds for you this morning. You have a one in 45 million chance that you will win the lottery. Probably that's increased if you play it, Um, but apparently uh, one in 45 million, so not brilliant odds, but compared to you being born, pretty decent. You've got an odd of one in 15,300 of being struck by lightning. That's a bit bit rough, (laughs) that is. It gets a bit worse. Uh, You've got a chance of one in 10,000 of being injured on a toilet. Uh, I would say they're double odds for Ed because he spends a lot of time there. Um, And this is (laughs) one of the most surprising ones. And if it's you, that's fine. There is no... uh, We're just glad that you're here. You have a chance of one in 500 of being born with an extra toe. Which makes you think, Rise, about 500 tickets, someone in Rise is rocking an extra toe. Uh, So... um, Definitely not Sus, so, because she's got nice feet. Um, she tells me that all the time. So, the odds of you being born are incredibly minute. And yet, it's almost like someone designed you for the time that you are right now, for the people that you are right now, for the place that you're in right now. It's almost like you were created. It's almost like, or it is like, God actually saw a need and saw a space and wanted you to be born. One in 400 trillion. So, if you don't feel like you've overcome anything else, you already were born and overcome. From the moment you were conceived, you've already, you've already won, which is amazing. And so when you face things this week, I want you to remember that truth. That I've already won. You were born a winner. I don't want to brag this morning, but I actually overcame my first thing when I was about three years old. I've got a photo of me so you can imagine me. This is me at Three. I know, look at that hair. (laughs) Um, I was kind of about three years old here, my Mary Poppins stage apparently, and um, I had an issue and I checked this as true, true, true reality that um, when I was three years old, I developed FOMO, where I felt like I was missing out because my life was good until two and a half years old. And then my parents made the mistake of having my sister. And my life was kind of, as the only child who got all the attention, was suddenly spoiled. And I had to split my mum's attention between two of us. Uh, and she would stay in their room. And I uh, was little and kind of thought, well, there's obviously something exciting happening there. And I'm left out in my room. So I stopped wanting to sleep in my own bed. And so my parents had this genius plan because it was the olden days and there was adverts that existed and I saw something on an advert that I wanted. It was this. Not this dress. This. Okay, hands up if you had a glowworm blessed and highly favored, so all same school year, it's excellent, yes. Um, Glowworm, so it would, you'd cuddle it basically quite hard and its face would light up. Now as I've watched videos since, they're quite creepy, but at the time I really wanted it and so my mum said to me, if I sleep in my own bed like a big girl, I could have one. But as I checked this story with her the other day, she said, I need to confess something with you. You had no idea how long a week was and they forgot about this promise. So for for a month I slept in my own bed thinking it was a week And they'd forgotten to buy me this thing, but I overcame. And then the problem was this, I got my glow worm and I was happy, gave myself a little pat on the back with my little short hair, and then stopped sleeping in my own bed because I had overcome and won, and so I wanted to go back, and the overcoming didn't last very long. Anyone else ever felt like they've overcome something, and then it feels like, oh, I've just gone back to it again? You started really well reading your Bible. You started really well overcoming the anxiety. You fought so well and you've tried really hard. You started really well to let go of that issue that you've been holding on to. And then something happens, a fear grips you, or you're triggered by something. Something changes that you don't expect, and suddenly all those feelings have kind of gone again, and you don't feel like much of an overcomer. Well, I want to give you a good news, bad news about Bible verse this morning. Uh, in typical good news, bad news form, we'll start with the bad news. This is Jesus himself saying something. This is what he said to his disciples. He's explaining that he's going to leave them. He said this in John 16. He said, I have told you these things so you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, when we look at merchandise arise Rise Conference, I don't think you will have trouble. We'll sell well on a T-shirt. But this is Jesus talking. He's saying, hey, there's going to be trouble. He's explained to his disciples, I'm going somewhere. I'm, I'm leaving. It's going to feel very bleak. Things are going to change in your world that you don't expect. And suddenly it's going to feel like all hell is breaking loose. Suddenly it's going to feel like I'm not in control anymore. Suddenly the things that you know as, as truth won't feel much like truth anymore. Suddenly Everything is about to change because he knew he was about to be uh, taken to the cross and be crucified. And we, of course, read the Easter story with hindsight. We know what happens. We know that they just have to wait three days. But can you imagine being in those three days? They don't know the end. They just feel like their entire world has collapsed. And maybe right now you feel like you're in a season where it feels like everything is discombobulated. Everything is wrong. You don't feel settled in yourself. There's issues that you're facing that you don't know how to overcome. And when those things happen, our theology gets a bit whack. We start to think things like, well, God must have left me because if my world has trouble in it, God can't be helping me anymore. Well, did God leave Jesus and his world became difficult? We start to think things like, well, I must be bad because if things are going bad, it must be because I am bad. I haven't earned a godly enough status to have things going well. Well, no, Jesus is saying, you're going to have trouble. Jesus himself had trouble. Theologians believe that probably the same time he's speaking this word over his disciples is probably the same time that Judas is selling Jesus for some silver. And sometimes we think that what Judas did was kind of some weird um, kind of business transaction, but I was reading the other day that it probably equals what, what Judas got out of it by our modern day standards, between 150 to 300 pounds. That's all it was worth. That's not a lot. And, and Judas is making a decision right then. He going to betray Jesus. Jesus was good. All he did was good. And yet still he had trouble. Still people left him, deserted him, misunderstood him. And so we think these things when things go wrong. Maybe God's mad with me. Maybe God's left me. Maybe I'm bad. Maybe I deserve this. But actually part two comes this verse. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Some days are difficult. Some days are bad. Some days are hard. Some days it feels like we are um, kind of stuck in circumstances. But I want to encourage you that you can take heart because he has overcome the world. And if you're in a season right now where it feels like you're stuck in the miry clay, it feels hard, it feels overwhelming, it's not the end of the story. While you still have breath in your lungs, while you can still praise the name of Jesus, your story is not over. In fact, the even better news is your story isn't over this side of heaven. Because this is just a part of your story. Heaven is our destination, those who love Jesus. So this isn't over. And I want to talk today about someone who understood what it was for things to go wrong. Because I love reading the Bible. I love reading about victories. I love reading about people who have great wins under their belt. But sometimes I'm less of a, of a Joshua, although Joshua got a bit of a bad rap then. Um, but I'm less of a Joshua. I'm more of a kind of, well, not quite Manasseh, but I mess up. And sometimes life doesn't look brilliant. So let's talk about Joseph in the Bible. Joseph who understood what it was to have difficulties. Joseph was a younger brother. He had 11 brothers. He had a dad and a mum. His mum was Rachel. His dad was Jacob. And he's the younger brother, one of the younger brothers. And his brothers knew that his dad chose Joseph. Joseph was the favorite. He got a special coat just to show his favoritism. If you've heard the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, then you'll know the stories. You can sing the songs in your head. It's very hard to detach them. I once saw Jason Donovan two times in a year doing the, uh, Jason, the Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat, but possibly it wasn't Technicolor. Possibly it was just fancy in other ways. But Joseph had a special coat, and not only that, Joseph was clearly the, the favorite and not only that, he started to have dreams about what was going to happen. In verse, uh, chapter 37 of Genesis, in verse four it says this: "When his brothers saw the robe, their father and showed that their father loved more him than more than anyone, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose, stood upright, while yours gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of this dream and what he said. I mean, here's a slight mistake Joseph made. It's not ideal when you've already got issues going on to then talk about a quite arrogant sounding and dream. And sometimes God will give you dreams and you've got to be careful who you tell those dreams to. Sometimes you have dreams kind of when you're asleep and you know that God's speaking to you. I've probably had like two of those in my whole life. I know that other people like Liam and Helen have dreams quite frequently uh, that where God speaks to them. But for me, more less of a sleeping dream, more of an awakening dream when you know God is speaking to you. Maybe it's a prophecy that that God has given you or spoken over you from someone or you've read something. You just know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about this. And if you don't yet have a specific prophecy or a specific dream, then the Word of God is that for you. But sometimes we give them to people who can't handle it. And so they belittle it or they, they misunderstand it or they misquote it and they make it something that it's not. I want to encourage you to be careful who you tell your dreams to. Be careful who you share that part of your life to. It's a bit like when you have a newborn baby. You don't just give them to anyone who wants them. I remember we were in Matalan when Asher was about a week old, and he was a very cute baby. Um, he had loads of hair, and he was this cute little baby. And we were in Matalan, and I was kind of like, you know, parading my baby. He was very cute, and, and people were like looking, and I was like, I made this baby. He's very cute. He's worth all the sickness. Um, and there was this old lady who kind of came up to me, and she said, that's a cute baby. And I was like, I know I made him. And, and um, she was like, can I hold it? And I was like, um, no. And she was like, why? And we had this like slight kind of altercation in the middle of Masalat of me saying, no, random lady, you're not holding my newborn baby. I don't know you. I don't know what diseases you have. You're not holding my baby. Um, And the same is a little bit true with our dreams. Sometimes we just give them to anyone and say, look, this is what God has spoken to us. And sometimes we have to wise about who we entrust that information with. I want to encourage you that you need to be in a life group if you're not in one, because that's a safe place where you can start to unpack the things of what God is speaking to you about and encourage you in what God is saying. And some of you have these dreams that God's given you, these words that you have, but actually the journey to get there has taken some, well, detour, shall we say. It's not so easy. I want to imagine for a second that your dream is like a destination, a holiday destination, like a a brochure that you have that has a picture of somewhere like Mauritius or somewhere that's beautiful, that has white sandy beaches and beautiful huts and just the right amount of sun not to burn me, but just enough to make me warm. And it's just all this beautiful stuff and and endless food and endless uh, drinks and all this stuff. And can you imagine that you think, I'm going to go there, but firstly, I'm not willing to pay for the, the travel. And then, when you decide, oh, okay, fine, I'll pay for the travel, then you kind of get to the airport and you think, oh, I can't be bothered to stand in airport queues. But you stand in airport queues and then you kind of go through all this stuff and the, the endless scanning and the taking off your shoes and the, the kind of taking off your belts and the, the, all the awkwardness of standing there and kind of making pleasant eye contact with strangers who you stood far too close to and all these things and then you go through passport control and those of us who went to Germany with Elevate will remember the nightmare that was passport control when Alia was taken away because she didn't smile properly for a passport thing and all these things and then you get to kind of you know the the area where you buy things from Wetherspoons you'd never normally drink at kind of 10 o'clock in the morning and there's all this and then you get on the plane and you're not sat together, you're sat with random people. Can you imagine at that point just thinking, do you know what, this is not what I pictured. I thought it was going to be really easy, I thought I'd sail through all this stuff. I didn't think there'd be any sort of kind, of kind of delays or anything, I just, I'm giving up. And you just, you know, just before they take off, you just think, actually I want to get off this plane. It's too much work to get there. It's not what I expected. It's a bit delayed, I'm sat next to someone who's kind of taking my armrest, and I just, I haven't got it in me today, I'm going to give up. And actually, sometimes we are like that with our dream. God has given us a dream, a calling, a a vision of what's going to happen. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's for your husband to become a Christian. Maybe it's for a breakthrough in a certain way. Maybe it's to not be single anymore. Maybe it's to have a new job. Maybe it's to be free of that issue that you've held onto for so long, it almost feels part of you. God's given you a picture, a dream of this is what it's going to be like. But the journey to get there often isn't smooth. That's because God is interested in the journey, not just the destination. And often on the journey, he's preparing you to get to the destination and cope with it really, really well. And so for Joseph, he thought, I've got this dream. My brother's going to bow down to me. Brother's not very happy about this. And so they decide to do as all good brothers would do and kill him. And then think, actually, we can make some money off him. Killing him is not going to make us any money. So we'll sell him. We'll put him in a well and then we'll sell him to some slave owners. So he gets sold to some slave owners. His dad thinks he's died. And he ends up in a house of a man called Potiphar. And he serves really well. He gets on well there. He, he is a good, humble servant and he works well. And he's also a good-looking lad. He's a young lad. And Potiphar's wife, she has an eye for the younger man. And I'm just thinking if there's certain people who are not in Hero Factory in the room, so we'll PG this up a little bit. But she kind of gives him the eye and thinks, Bauchika, wow wow I would like a piece of some Joseph. And so she decides to invite him to spend some time with her, some special time. And um, he declines because he is of the Lord and says, "Uh, no, old lady, back off. And she doesn't like this very much, so she chases him and uh, grabs some of his coat and kind of blames him and says all this stuff and tells her husband stuff that is a complete lie, and then we get to Genesis 39. Remember, Joseph just had a dream. He was just a boy with a dream, and now he's caught up in all this nonsense. When his master heard the story about what his wife told him, because his wife said, hey, he tried it on, blah, blah, blah. This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. I mean, all he did was say no. He's done nothing wrong. He wasn't particularly sensible, telling his brothers the dreams, but that's all he did wrong. And now he's been sold. He's been lied about. He's been mistreated. And now he's in prison. And these aren't nice prisons. These are dark, dirty prisons where people put there to be forgotten about and to rot. There was no kind of getting out. There was no kind of training within prison. It was just horrible. And he's put in there. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all the held in prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The Lord was with Joseph? If I was in prison, that would not be the main takeaway of that moment. I'd be like, the Lord has left me because I'm in prison and all I did was the right thing. And yet twice in that short passage of Scripture, the Bible says the Lord is with him. His circumstances did not show much evidence to the outside eye that the Lord is with him. But Joseph learned what it was to not be dictated by external circumstances, but have an internal understanding of what God was doing. The key to surviving trials, the key to going through things while kind of keeping hold of your life and keeping hold of your faith, is to realize that external forces should not dictate what's internally, because he that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. The Bible says this, and many of you have heard this before in Psalm 23, but I want to read the Passion Version. It says this, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me for you already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely for you are near. I'll never be lonely When I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be lonely. When I'm in a prison cell, I won't be lonely. When I'm dealing with sickness or when my kid is sick, I won't be lonely. When I feel like I'm up in the middle of the night looking after my baby and no one else is awake and I'm struggling, I won't be lonely. When I'm in that doctor's room, I won't be lonely. When I'm in my exams, I won't be lonely because you are near. I don't have to fear anything because you've already conquered it. And Joseph knew what it was. Joseph knew what it was to walk through the valley and have God with him. God does not abandon you. So there's four things really quickly that Joseph learned about the prison. The first thing is this, there was promise still in the prison. There's promise in the prison. So easily what happens is circumstances change, things happen, the house doesn't come through that we expected to, the job changes, the relationship doesn't work out, and we have this thinking in our head, okay, well God must have left me, because there can't be promise in this prison, I can't be sick and still have achieving God's goodness. It's so easy to lose hope when we're in the midst of it, but Joseph learned that even in the prison, God hasn't forgotten me. Sometimes it's easy to think that God's not doing anything. We sing that song, don't we, Waymaker? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Uh, and so many of you know our circumstance at home at the moment that Noah, our 16-year-old who's on the back, so I will not embarrass him, um, is not well at the moment and has all sorts of health things going on. And it's easy in the midst of it to think, God, what are you doing? Like, it's complicated. It's hard with school. It's hard with lots of different things. And endless hospital visits and all this complicated stuff that were going on in year 11 and all this stuff. And it's easy to think, God, God, what are you doing Like it would just be easy if you just fix this. But we're having to learn to be patient and see that God hasn't gone anywhere. There's still promise in the prison. Whatever your prison is right now, he hasn't gone. He's with you. And the promise hasn't changed. The destination hasn't changed. The journey may look different. Second thing is this, that there's provision in the prison. There's provision in the prison. You think about various people in the Bible where they come to God, almost kind of saying, "I've got nothing." You think about the widow who came to Elijah and said, "Look, my, my husband's dead. He was in your company. My sons are about to be taken as slaves because of the debt that we have." And Elijah says to her, "What do you have?" And her answer is, "I have nothing. I have nothing. Like, don't you think if I had something, I would have given it already, rather than my kids being taken?" And then she stops and thinks, "I mean, I've got some oil." But what good is oil? You may be thinking to God, God, I have nothing left. I am burnt out. I'm exhausted. I've tried it all. My finances are struggling. My health's struggling. I've got all this stuff going on. I don't feel it anymore. I don't have anything. But God says, you've got something. Maybe it's just your story. Maybe it's something. We think about the disciples that come to Jesus and say, send the people away. Send them away because they're hungry and we've got nothing to feed them. And Jesus answers, nothing. Because I spy a little kid whose mum was organized with a pack lunch. You've got something. And five thousand people with one pack lunch, even with a lot of lunchables, that's not gonna go that far. And yet with Jesus, he made it go far. We think of Moses who came to, to God and said, I don't have anything. Who am I to speak to people? I've got a speech impediment, I've got a really dark history that would mean I wouldn't even probably make it on a welcome team in, in church. But who am I to lead the people? And God says, Well, you've got to stick. So often we're in circumstances and we can say, look, I've got nothing. And God's saying, hey, there's still something. You've got something there. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 19, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made more perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's still provision in the midst of it. I love in Genesis 39, it says several times that that Joseph found favor in a prison, but he still found favor. And maybe you feel like a bit of a prison situation right now, but there's still favor to be found. There's still, there's still miracles to be we found. We're going to learn to look for the sparkles. It may feel like absolute dirt around, but there's something that God is doing. And if we're not careful, we're so fixed on the dirt that we miss the sparkles that are happening. We're so fixed on the, the difficulties and the darkness that we miss the little lights that are happening, that God's doing something. So sometimes... We've got to lift our eyes up and see, okay, there is something that you're doing, God. I I don't understand it. It's hard. It's dark. It's not what I feel like I signed up for. But God, are you doing something? And learn to fix on the the purpose and see that God is doing something, on the provision. Third thing is this, that that God still has a purpose in the midst of the prison. See, what starts to happen in the prison is, you know, there's, there's other people in there and they start to have dreams. And there's, there's dreams that start to happen, and, and they're confusing and dreams, and they know that they're, that they're kind of spiritual dreams, and they're talking, and Joseph hears it. Now, here's what would have happened for some of us. We're in a prison. We're feeling very hard done to. We're feeling forgotten about because, I mean, his dad thinks he's, he's long dead now, so no one's coming looking for him. There's no kind of get-out-of-jail-free card for him. He, he's stuck. It's dark. It's miserable. Some of us would think, do you know what? I just need some time to reflect right now. I need to sit in my corner, put my thumb in my mouth, sing, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat worms, and just, you know, have some time out. I need a break. My schedule is busy, blah, 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 blah. But Joseph hears people starting to talk about his dreams, and something in him says, well, you know, I've done it before. I did it, you know, in the field so I can do it in a prison. And he decides that I'm going to be part of the answer and starts to interpret the dream, starts to use what God's given him, even in the midst of the prison. The enemy, we do have an enemy, loves you to be feel small and isolated and unable to do things and kind of take you out like a gazelle taken out of a, fly, uh, uh, a group of, of deer. But we need to make sure that even in the midst of difficulties, we still know that God is still working and we still have a purpose and still decide, I'm going to serve. I'm going to do something. I may not be able to do everything. I may have to kind of reduce my schedule slightly, but God is in me. His grace is sufficient for me in my weakness. And so I may feel weak right now, but God has given me everything that I need for life and godliness. So I'm still going to find purpose. I'm still going to do what I'm called to do. I may feel slightly depleted, but in my weakness, God is strong. And so I'm going to do something more you know, we have the pleasure of knowing many of you, knowing many of your stories, walking through things with some of you. And I know some of you, even on the worship team, are walking through prison seasons right now. And it blesses my heart to see people choose right now, I'm going to press into the presence of God. And if it makes me so proud that, you know, even I'm sometimes almost moved to tears and I'm not the emotional one in the relationship, uh, <laughs> um, then, then how much more does it bless God that he sees his children say, you know what, right now there's stuff going on that that not many people know about, but I'm choosing to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I'm going to choose to press it. I'm going to choose to serve. I'm going to choose to come early. I'm going to smile. And I'm not saying fake it till you make it. I'm not saying kind of pretend in church. I'm not saying be some sort of false Christian who's like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. My life's falling apart, but I'm fine. Don't be weird. Because no one wants a weird Christian friend. You can be real, but also you can know that there's still purpose, there's still promise, there's still provision in the midst of it. And yeah, things are not easy, but God is still good no matter what has happened. And it helps shape us and shift us. I love reading stories about people who, who did amazing things. And Corrie Ten Boom is one of these people that I've read about recently who was an incredible young woman who, through her family, saved many, many Jews in the Second World War and created this whole space in their watchmaking shop for them to live. And eventually they got found and she was taken to a camp and her father was killed and, and eventually her sister died with her. And I wonder if the end of when she's finally released, it was part of it that thought, Do "You know what? I've done my time. As sacrifice, I've gone above and beyond anyone else. I have given and given and given. But she made a decision that, that that's not over. I can still breathe. I may have some scars, but I can still breathe, and so I can still do things. And so she served and lived her life well into her old age, serving God and serving Jesus. And one of the quotes that she um, is famous for saying is this, in order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. In order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. And Maybe right now you are feeling the stress of the storm. You need to know you're not alone. But storms end. They're not forever, but giving up can be forever. So don't give up. Keep going. Keep knowing that right now I haven't seen the breakthrough, but the breakthrough is coming because my God is faithful and he's able to do all things. Don't let this situation define or distract you. Joseph must have battled so much thinking, you know, oh my goodness, like like everyone's forgotten me. He must have had low days. And yet you don't feel or see him acting like a prisoner. He's given favor. He operates differently. He's not defined by this circumstance. Don't let this momentary thing, because in in God's terms, this is momentary. Our troubles are momentary. Define you and decide who you're going to be. Decide who you're going to be and the purposes of God. Band, if you want to come to the stage. Final thing Joseph learned, and for me, this is the hardest one, is Joseph learned to have peace in the prison. Oh, I can learn to have purpose in a prison I can learn to have um, that God's promise is still there. I can learn that there's provision. I can learn those things, but to have peace, I don't. That's harder for me. Oh, I'm just throwing my things around. It's harder for me to have peace in the midst of it. But Joseph learned what it was. Thanks, Jacob. Joseph learned what it was to have peace and to have to have favor to know that this isn't the end, because they the. One of the guys whose dream he interpreted didn't get out of prison. The other one did. And Joseph said to him, will you, will you remember me when you get out? Will you remember me to the king? When you get out, will you tell him that I'm here? And for two years, this guy forgot all about him. I mean, just gutted. It's been 13 years now since that Joseph's had the dream. 13 years. Some of you are only just turning 30. It's a long time to be forgotten about. It's a long time to see no evidence of God coming through. It's a lot of dark days. And yet Joseph kept having peace. He knew that one day his time would come. And then when we read the story, we've not got time to read it all now. What happens is suddenly the, the leader, the pharaoh, has a dream. And the, the man who got out of prison remembers, oh yeah, there was this guy. I met him. He was in prison and maybe he could come and help you. So Joseph brought out, interprets his dream about famine that's coming And the king, the the leader, is so impressed by him. He says, okay, you can be in charge of of kind of distribution and and all this stuff makes him a governor in his land. And it's an amazing story. And then eventually when we read in in Genesis 42, his brothers end up in famine. And where do they go? Well, they go to Egypt. Verse 8, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. There's a moment that comes. That for 13 more years, Joseph had been waiting, He'd had this dream. Oh, if he'd manufactured it, it wouldn't have looked like this. There'd have been no prison part, because he wants to go to prison. There'd have been no false accusations, because he wants the, the reputation ruined. There'd have been no slavery, because no one wants that. There'd have been no, none of this darkness. There'd have been none of this forgottenness and left and all this stuff. And yet, there's a moment that comes where he's in charge. And his brothers come, and they don't know who he is, because 13 years, and he's seen some stuff. He's not the same kid he was 13 years ago. He's a man now who's gone through some stuff. He said, are you spies? You've come to see what the land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We're the sons of one man. Your servants of honest men, not spies. And then he goes on. He kind of winds them up a little bit. And then eventually he says, okay, you can have food. And they realize who he is. And in chapter 50, we read this great verse that we talked about many, many times during COVID. you remember if you watch us online and uh, those Wednesday night lives and all those things that I'm glad are long in the past. This verse came out many times. It said this, this is Joseph speaking. Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Joseph had a realization that, okay, this is not the journey he wanted. If he wrote his plan, it wasn't going to include all this stuff. But maybe it's because his plan is just about him. And God's plan includes a lot more. Because God's plans for you are bigger than yourself. You may be thinking, you know, I just want to go to university. I I just want to get a wife. I just want to get healed. But God's plan is not just for you, but actually for the saving of many souls. And sometimes we go through things and God is not making you go through things. It's not God's, God's heart is not to, to punish you or, or to make you uh, struggle. But God is able to make even struggles become strengths. God is able to make even prison cells become like palace moments and breakthrough moments. God is able to make you a thing that feels like it's about to break you actually build you into something that he needs you to be. Because it's not just about you. There's other people watching. And so that's why it's so important that you do not quit that you keep on doing what you know you need to do, that you keep believing, keep trusting. Think of Joseph in that prison cell feeling completely abandoned and alone with no understanding. How could this possibly work out? And yet he held on to and had peace that actually my God hasn't left me. There's still favor here. It's just not the right time. And maybe you're saying to God, but when God, I've waited and I've waited and I've waited. I don't know. I don't have a clock where I can say, okay, in six weeks time, it's going to change. But we do know that in the midst of it, you can have peace because he's with you. He walks through these things with you. In this world, you'll have trouble. And some of you right now are well aware of the trouble. You can list the five trouble things that you're walking through right now. But take heart because he's overcome the world. And if he's overcome the world, he's overcome this issue you're dealing with. And he has a plan that is bigger than your plan. He has a purpose that outweighs your purpose. Just like Joseph. Joseph could have never imagined what was about to happen, but he trusted God, had peace, understood purpose, provision, and promise in the midst of his prison, and breakthrough came. It was a moment that came. And we know that God is working things together for your good. Just in this place, close your eyes where you are. Just nearly for you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, InfluenceChurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.